Morning, everybody. Crappy Mondays. So crappy, I couldn't even boil the kettle. This was made in a microwave this morning. I feel un-British. Welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's Deputy Online Political Editor, Lizzie Buchan. Morning, Lizzie. Morning. Hope you've got a cup of tea made in a proper kettle. Um, now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get in the comments, ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on podcast will just have to be amazed that no one had figured any of this out about Russell Brand any sooner. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on what is the only story in town this week as TV bosses come under fire for what they did or did not know or do. And in fact, when they first heard about the allegations of sexual impropriety and assault by TV presenter Russell Brand. Now, for anyone who's been under a rock the past few days, he's been accused of rape as well as grooming a child of 16 and numerous instances of harassing women. He's denied it all very strenuously. So please be circumspect in your comments. We're not going to um, publish anything uh, on the screen, which is uh, legally suspect, but we're going to try our best to, to answer your questions. So let us know what they are. Now, first, before we get to that, I want to very quickly discuss the Mirror's campaign on banning the XL bully dogs, which I think this show is probably the only Mirror outlet to raise any concerns about at all. Um, last week, after Ian Price was killed by two of these dogs who had broken into his elderly mother's garden from a neighbour's, the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, finally said the XL bully would be added to the banned breeds list in the Dangerous Dogs Act. Now, owners of XL bullies, many of whom say their pets are harmless, gentle if they're well looked after, have been cross about a possible mass cull, haven't they, Lizzie, uh, of animals that haven't had any kind of issue uh, at all. Any pet owner might be a bit worried about that. So what are the government actually saying about this cull? Is, is that, is that going to go ahead? So the so there's sort of two issues here. I mean, the the Prime Minister on, I think it was the end of last week, said that the government would look at banning the XL bully. So there are, I think, four different kinds of um, bully dog and XL is obviously the largest. They can get, I think they can be as large as nine stone, which is absolutely enormous. Mm. Um, so they've said that they'll add, add that to the sort of banned breed legislation. Um, and as you said, you know, the Dangerous Dog Act kind of tends to, it characterises dogs by breed, which has been quite controversial among dog owners who sort of, some of whom argue that it is the owner's responsibility to control their dog. Not all dogs of a certain breed are aggressive, like that, you know, it can it, it kind of removes the onus from owners to basically control their dogs. And some people will have a dog that is not as large as an XL bully or as aggressive, but they've bred it to fight or they've trained it to be aggressive and that the kind of legislation doesn't really take hold of that. Um, but yeah, so the prime minister has said that they're going to look at banning the XL bully by the end of the year. But then I think the chief veterinary officer has now said that owners of XL bully dogs uh, will not, they won't be, the dogs don't are not required to be culled. What they'll have to do is, you have to register your dog um, and I think it will need to be neutered and wear a muzzle in public. Um, mm -hmm. But they won't sort of there won't sort of be a mass cull of these dogs. So mm -hmm. that obviously, you know, some people think that doesn't go far enough, that all XL bully dogs are just too aggressive. Other people, you know, would argue that some people say that these dogs, if trained well, can be sort of can be safe and can, you know, it's not fair to cull all dogs of a certain breed just because of of a number of incidents basically exactly if you're going to ban the xl bully i mean what about the x bully 
because they, they're still going to be big. Even the, the small bully, I would suggest, is probably still going to have a bit of um, pounds per square inch jaw pressure to worry about. Now, Laura says, I don't believe it's the dog. It's very much the owner. Dogs are born not knowing how to be nasty to kill or to harm. It's the influences around them. And I should just point out, um, on behalf of dog owners, you don't train a dog to be aggressive. You abuse and mistreat a dog in order to make it aggressive. And so, um, you know, that's training is shows care and consideration and the system of reward and things like that and that's not how you train a dog. get a dog to be aggressive it's something entirely different and what do you think everybody because some people are saying that if you just muzzle these dogs in public and ask them to be neutered number one are you sure they're neutered how can you check it all number two you know muzzles can come off dogs can still attack sometimes um and there might still be uh, attacks from dogs that their owners are trying their best with but they're extremely large and powerful animals that are going to be a possible threat so I mean you know muzzling not killing them always probably good for your dog owner but yet muzzling them is not necessarily the solution um are we going to have any particular issues do you think um I mean they're talking about adding as you said there Lizzie the the breeds to the the banned breeds list but you know the dangerous dogs act as you've said is a pretty panicky bit of legislation it was brought in in a hurry as the result of a media campaign about devil dogs i'm afraid um it's badly written um are we actually going to have fresh legislation do you think or are we stuck with trying to use the dda by the sounds of it at the moment it's we're stuck with the dda i um i mean all the the kind of conversation obviously there has been increased alarm because of a number of quite high profile incidents recently that there are conversations kind of going on in Westminster about whether the legislation is working or not but at the moment as far as I understand it you know they're still looking at working within the existing legislation um, there are obviously reasons for that kind of separate from what's going on in in the sense that if you just look at the boring kind of mechanics of the parliamentary timetable, we're about a year out from the election. You know, they've got several, the government are trying to rush through several quite knotty bills at the moment that are keeping sort of um, amended in the Lords. We're going to have a King's speech in November um, when they're going to set out kind of their plan for the next year. There's, there's not a lot of time to start doing something really massive and, you know, write a new bit of legislation on dangerous dogs would take quite a long time. Yeah. Um, there would be a lot of people you'd need to consult. There would be lots of different views on it, I'm sure. Um, so if they start said, okay, we're going to bring in a new, like a whole new bill, that, I mean, that would take, that would take quite a long time. So I think clearly what they're looking at right now is just adding the XL bully to the, to the Dangerous Dogs Act and to the banned breeds. But whether that's enough is a different question. I mean, you know, as you say, the Mirror has been campaigning on this issue and looking for an overhaul of the Dangerous Dogs Act because a lot of people say it's, as a piece of legislation, it's not really fit for purpose. No. So fundamentally, um, the government's only going to do something that's pretty bad uh, because it really isn't expecting to be here next year. <laughs> That's like an ambition of defeat, really, isn't it? Now, Mike says, couldn't they bring back the dog license so owners can be registered, banned if they're shown to own a dangerous dog of any breed, make having a dog without a license an offence? Um, that's often said when this kind of thing comes up, Mike. But unfortunately, the, the main argument against it is that people who are poorer wouldn't pay for the licenses. 
And that would mean that you're not having pets in poorer families. And it isn't automatic that if you're poorer or not be able to afford the license, and of course, having, perhaps having it renewed and stuff like that, that you're, you, you don't have a right to have a dog seems a bit unreasonable. And what will end up happening is an awful lot of unlicensed dogs that aren't checked and registered. And that then there's a huge body of you know, animals that somehow have to be checked and maintained. It's just, it's daft, some of it. The idea of a license doesn't really work. Steve says, if a nine-stone dog attacks a small child, even if it's wearing a muzzle, it'll still do a lot of harm. They are very, very big dogs. Um, but and the argument for the Dangerous Dogs Act, okay, is that those breeds that are on it, and I think there's only about three or four, I can't remember all of them, one of them's a, a doge, um, there have been no fatal dog attacks since they were banned from those breeds. Right, number one. That is the biggest argument for banning a breed. Unfortunately, what it does mean is that, you know, if you've got something that's a bit like that breed and you cross it with someone else, you're still keeping some of these breed characteristics, but passing it to a different kind of dog that manages to get around the legislation, perhaps. Um, and there are postmen, the length and breadth of this great country that will tell you it's not just the big ones that are the issue. There's plenty of smaller dogs that are capable of causing a lot of injury too. And even if they don't kill, they're quite capable of disfiguring, especially when it comes to a child. So there's going to have to be something done somewhere, isn't there? But no one's quite sure what it is. And it's not going to be done by a government that's in its dog days, if you'll pardon the pun. Now, we need to move on to the main story of the day, which is uh, the allegations about Russell Brand. I'm just going to repeat what I said earlier on. He strenuously denies these allegations. He's been accused of rape of one woman. He's been accused of grooming a child of 16 when he was 31 in a relationship um, and numerous instances of harassment and other issues. Uh, he's denied it all. Just be a bit circumspect in your comments because there's going to be legal action at some point about some of this in one direction or another, I would expect. The lawyers are watching. So, uh, TV chiefs are in a flat spin about this. Um, they're facing questions about what they knew of Russell Brown's alleged behaviour when he was on our TV screens. He's not on our TV screens at the moment, hasn't been for years. Um, but, uh, you know, his alleged behaviour towards colleagues, strangers, friends, women, his own girlfriends, who've come forward with complaints in the past few days. There are more who've come forward since the first, I think it was four, told their stories in the Sunday Times and Channel 4 dispatches. As yet, uh, as far as we know, none have been reported to the police. Now, Lizzie, take us through this. What what should the people on those TV stations have known or done or been protecting? Or you know, what are they kind of what are they panicking about? In what in what respect is any of this their fault? Well, I think that quite a lot of the you know what is talked about in this reporting is that there were very obvious signs regardless of the kind of if we set some of the most the, these allegations to just to one side for one second um you can see that there is a very problematic pattern of behavior in these reports that is often within the workplace so you know even even if the big bosses at the BBC at Channel 4 didn't know about the complaints that have been made of sort of rape and sexual assault, there is this sort of quite disturbing pattern that you can see um, in the claims made throughout all of this reporting about the way he was behaving at work. So, you know, there are reports that he was asking producers to select women from the audiences of shows who he wanted to bring backstage, that he was often wandering around in his underwear, that he was urinating in bottles in in sort of, you know, in 
um, in cha- in like dressing rooms. He was including in front supposedly uh, is alleged in front of what you know a minor who was there on some sort of charity visit to the TV show. That he was just behaving in a way that is clearly wildly inappropriate in a workplace, mm-hmm. and that people seem to know about this. You know his behavior was a sort of open secret in the industry that he he, you know we make clear in our reporting today that a lot of this stuff is not hard to it's not a big leap for some people because he talked so much about his sort of sex addiction about his own behavior in his stand-up in his books you know he, he was very frank at the time about the you know some of the challenges that he'd faced and also the way that that impacted on his behavior but i think one of the challenging things for these for the sort of broadcasting bosses now is that they brought him in because he was edgy and in demand and he was saying things that were sort of quite on the nose even at the time but now public attitudes have changed quite a lot since you know the early 2000s and people don't think that it's acceptable for you to behave mm-hmm way well, even, and that, that even aside from the the horrendous allegations that have been made exactly you know mike says it does seem that russell brown's behavior was tolerated even protected while he was still good tv and now he's no longer the media darling he once was people aren't moving so quickly to defend him in fact people are moving away from his uh sphere fairly quickly um agencies and uh uh, publishers and so on seem to be going oh no nothing to do with us and and walking away from it and um roy says if you've been sexually assaulted or anything like that the first thing you do is you report it to the police roy i'm going to assume from what you've just said that you have not been sexually assaulted because that is not the first thing you do right the first thing you do is you sit down and you think is there any point in me reporting this to the police is there any witnesses is there any evidence am i ever going to be believed that's the first thing that you do if you've been sexually assaulted roy um, and so it's not something that you necessarily come straight back with. Um, and there are text messages which are not disputed from Russell Brand in which he asks a woman for forgiveness. Now, she's accused him of rape. and He doesn't confess to that in his text. But I would suggest you don't ask a woman for forgiveness after she's raised an issue with you about your sexual behaviour if you think you don't think you did anything wrong. Um, but uh, now Tom Bryan, our head of showbiz, has got a very illuminating column. Uh, he's explaining some of this in the paper today. And he says, you know, as you were talking about there, Lizzie, um, it highlights this power imbalance in the showbiz industry when it comes to the talent. Often they wield too much influence, aided and abetted by agents, publicists and managers to protect their 10 percent cut. Warning signs are conveniently overlooked as they desperately cling on to the gravy train at all costs. And Russell Brand, let's face it. Um, regardless of any of the allegations that have been made in the last sort of 72 hours, he was booked because he wasn't just edgy or on the nose. He was making, uh, mm-hmm. he was a, he looked like a rock star, A. B, um, he, his act was about sexual misbehaviour, sexual shenanigans, and he was extraordinarily loquacious, using all kinds of amazing words, right, which everyone was quite impressed by, which almost sort of covered up some of the sort of seedier things he was saying. If he had been saying the same things in, you know, speaking like a, I don't want to be rude to truckers, but speaking like a, 
just an average working class tradesman, let's say, with a with a different kind of accent, then it it wouldn't have flown in quite the way that it did. It's because he had all this sort of enunciation going on about things. Megan says, isn't this how he was marketed? Yes, Megan, it was. The wild, edgy, slightly unruly character. The fact is unpredictable. At the time, it was used to benefit marketing and using the popularity of his character. Exactly. Channel 4, Big Brother, um, the BBC, they all had these guys. Now, they were using him because it made them look edgy as well. It brought a younger demographic in, in the viewers, didn't it, Lizzie? It brought people in to watch them, and that's what he was there for. And therefore, they, they were going to perhaps overlook some things. Um, but the, the Radio 4 Today programme, the BBC, right? The Today programme this morning was playing footage from his, I think he was on Radio 2, mm -hmm. in which he was discussing the female newsreader on air, uh, talking about how sexy she was and how he wanted to crawl under the desk while she was doing the news reading and and uh, and play with her thighs and so on. Now she complained about it. She felt humiliated, but it was allowed to continue. And that's the kind of thing it was being broadcast on national radio and TV, Lizzie. None of this stuff, although the allegations we've had about a sixteen-year-old and about rape, they're all new. But the kind of general behaviour was not hidden, and. Yeah. I kind of I almost feel that what what bit of this is shouldn't have come as a surprise to anybody. Mm. Because if someone at one of those radio stations or TV programs had said at the beginning, Russell, you're going to that's fine. Be edgy. Do your comedy. But you know what? Don't have don't bring in your colleagues. Don't humiliate people. Mm. Um, you, you can do what you do without this. And I just feel that some of this stuff wouldn't be happening today. We wouldn't be hearing some of these reports, perhaps, if they'd if they'd done that. But I mean, it's so jarring listening to some of those things now. I mean, like you say on the Today program, they also played um, a clip of him calling up Jimmy Savile, um, oh. who obviously several this was several years before what we knew uh, we before everything came out about Jimmy Savile, but talking about the fact that Jimmy Savile asked him to bring along his sister um, to a meeting. And he says, oh, I'll bring along my personal assistant. She's very attractive. Will that be okay? And they have this conversation live on air about him bringing his sis uh, his assistant who mm. is going to give Jimmy Savile a massage. And you just think this is absolutely extraordinary that that was allowed to happen. I mean, obviously this was probably it was broadcast live so you know I don't know exactly how easy it was for the people who worked on his show but he was on radio too which mm. is they were clearly the BBC was clearly trying to be you know to be edgy and to to ca like capitalize on that kind of popularity and there were millions of people listening to his shows yeah. and there were complaints I can recall to mm -hmm. Ofcom at the time from viewers and listeners and stuff going this isn't okay there will also have been millions of people who laughed mm. at that who thought it was funny because this is before the allegations about jimmy savile came out it's five years or so before he died four years before he died and it was just it was like funny to try and sort of mm. talk about stuff with an old man who was a children's entertainer you know but it shows you how much public attitudes have changed that that wouldn't happen now like no. If somebody did that now, there would be an immediate outrage, outcry about yeah. it. And I suppose because social media has evolved so much since then, if that happened now, it would be all over Twitter, all over Facebook. The BBC would immediately hear that everybody was unhappy about it. Whereas back then, maybe the feedback was not as quick um, to things like that. Yeah, um, I think as well, it was kind of seen as, you know, brands being young and edgy and bringing in a different demographic. And the people who are complaining are the older 
demographic, mm -hmm. different kind of newspaper reader maybe. They've been stoked up by something they've seen on the front page of a newspaper who said, oh, this is outrageous. Um, and they therefore dismissed the the complaints because they didn't think that what, you know, someone who was 60 in 2003, that what they didn't like then was going to make a tiniest bit of difference in 2023. You know, that their attitudes were going out of date as opposed to perhaps coming, you know, perhaps chiming somewhere with what other things were going to be happening. And Philip says, it's strange how the country can be duped by people who use fancy words. Mm. Russell Brand and Boris Johnson seem very similar. It is astonishing how, how much the use of a, a posh word can indeed make people go, oh, isn't he clever? And then forget some of the other stuff. Now, the question's got to be said, Lizzie. What is actually, what's Russell Brand going to experience as a result of this? You know, he plays to 2,000 people at a sellout gig on the day of the revelations. He has more shows coming up, although there's probably going to be calls to boycott some of them. Um, he has a massive online following of fans, much of it rabid okay they're anti-vaxxers they're anti-establishment they're anti-news establishment sort of you know venn diagram of people who don't trust others um and they're not turning against him or not yet anyway he's they keep they make him a rich man they make him a popular man and it, unless the police are sort of forced to act in some way this is this isn't gonna damage him is it because it's not like he's about to be employed on telly it's not like he's about to go back into hollywood he's got his youtube channel and that's how he makes his cash these days yeah he's not been on sort of mainstream tv since what sort of 2019 or something like that mm. and i don't believe that there's any kind of plans to bring him back in any way i mean i think what's interesting here is you can see that again this is quite a very sort of modern phenomenon that he is you know, he's invent, reinvented himself as a sort of online wellness influencer and has basically found himself that niche of sort of like quite conspiracy minded people to look, you know, and he's clearly having a, created a sort of messianic like persona there where he's very successful. And what he did was before the stories came out, he published a video where he sort of basically claimed that this was all manufactured because, you know, the mainstream media want to bring him down um, mm. as if, you know, I mean, A, it's almost never conspiracy. And B, if the mainstream media really wanted to bring somebody down who was really like problematic to their worldview, I don't think that Russell Brand would be the first person that we would, you know, that people would well, think. Why would, they have waited, about why would they have waited a decade as well? And if they're trying yeah. to bring down his anti-vax rhetoric and stuff, why have we waited until after the pandemic and yes, after the vaccine was issue? But you'll see, see him... You'll see him continue to position himself there and basically mm. suggest that, you know, this is all a conspiracy and none of it's true. And it's because he's speaking truth and all of that. But like you say, so he'll he'll probably just be pushed further into that space unless the police act. And mm. in which case, who knows where that might end up? Yeah, I think that I think the phrase wellness influencer probably needs to get dropped. Mm. Um I'm not entirely sure what kind of wellness he's ever promoted in any sort, even if, if he's innocent of the things that he's been accused of. I'm still don't think there's any wellness ever been promoted by Russell Brand. He's promoted drugs. He's promoted sex. He's promoted promiscuity. He's promoted uh, harassment of females on national radio shows. And he's now promoting not taking vaccines, which is certainly not wellness, everybody. Perhaps he should just be muzzled. Maybe we should add him to the band breeds list. That would um, that would be beneficial, wouldn't it?
I think. But we certainly should neuter him. Anyway, uh, thank you for taking us through all that, Lizzie. Thank you, everyone, for your comments. Um, and thank you probably to everyone uh, backstage who's happily edited out any uh, Russell Brown fans. Um, we will, I'm sure, be talking about this again at some point in the future. So we'll have to revisit this, I expect. But first off, we have found some good news in the world. Here it is. Now, this is a very sweet story. This is a nice one that'll make you feel a bit happier about the human uh, race. Now, uh, Trevor Bottomley's wife, Maureen, uh, died a little while ago. They'd been married for 65 years and he was absolutely bereft, didn't know what to do without her. And he just one day decided to pop back in to uh, see his old mates in the Windows firm called EYG in Hull, where he used to work, and had a chat to them. And the boss offered him a job. He is 85. He's back there five days a week uh, as a salesman. Uh, and he's enjoying it. He's having a whale of a time. And he says, finally, I, you know, I've got a reason to get out of bed in the mornings. I'm seeing other people. I'm not just lying in bed till 11 o'clock and don't know what to do with my day and feeling miserable. He's up and out and, and getting after me. He says everyone should do it if they want to. Lizzie, do you think this is proof that, you know, uh, no matter how long in the tooth you get, there's always a bit of life in the old dog yet? Oh, absolutely. I'm a big believer that I think it's never too late for things to change. You know, you can think about that. Like, it's really nice that, you know, obviously being losing his wife must have been a terrible thing. And I think it's really nice that he's managed to find company and purpose and that sort of thing. And to prove that, you know, his life isn't is still got something con to contribute to society. There's no reason why not. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he was saying he thinks he's going to going to try and work for another few years. So, you know, good for him. And I think if people want to do that, that is that's great because work should be something that it isn't often isn't these days. But work should be something that gives people purpose and a sense of you know self-respect and society and all of that sort of thing as well as a paycheck and it's nice that he obviously has a job where he feels that he will be supported to work even though he's much you know he's far beyond the retirement age that he'll be well treated and that he'll be able to do exactly and well done to his boss for signing him up because there's an awful lot of bosses who would think 85 year old mate you're not even gonna be here when it's time for a cup of tea um but uh, you know as long as all your extremities are working and you're able to go in and do the job. There's absolutely no reason why age should be a barrier, really. I know that Jason, who comes on the show, sometimes thinks it's, it's, it's a sort of dystopian hellhole to make old people go out to work kind of thing. But if they want to, knock, knock it out of the park. And I think Trevor's happy doing it and is obviously getting something out of it. Although, you know, as someone who works in this space, I think the idea of actually having some society out of out of your job, it probably means I'm in entirely the wrong job. <laughs> Lizzie, I should be, I should actually be a proper reporter and going out and actually talking to people and I might get to move off this chair sometimes. Anyway, um, thank you for uh, talking about that with us. Thank you for explaining everything and going through Russell Brand, which I think we're going to have to... Um, go through him a few more times yet uh, if anyone if you're interested to know what Russell Brand well, was really like can I suggest anybody that you google an old mirror story from 2006 um, by a mirror reporter who uh, ended up um, back at Russell Brand's house one night and the things that he said to her to try to get her into bed before she managed to beat a hasty retreat it's quite 
an eye-opener. And it's very much worth um, reading it and going, good Lord, how come nobody realised? Uh, you'll find it on my Twitter if you want to read it. Right. Thank you for that, everybody. We must dash on. We've got a whole big week coming up. We're not going to be here on Wednesday because we've got some other big things going on. But we will be back here next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda. OK, until then, everybody, thank you very much for watching. Tatty bye.